shoes shine, sorry. Uh, some of them on their way to work. Some of them waiting to get a taxi. And some of these folks probably sending their kids off to school. But perhaps if you were there, maybe you would be so focused on getting to work that you don't pay attention to this fiddler. Or perhaps you listen to this fiddler, see if they're any good. Maybe eh, just any other street performer. Or perhaps you had actually stopped and heard this person play six classical pieces. Well, friends, in 2007, only seven people stopped to hear. And if you had ears to hear, then you would find out that this man was Joshua Bell, a world-renowned violinist. He played at many concerts, long lines waiting to get, to get signed autographs. He played uh, the violin for major motion pictures and lots of movies. And he played 40 minutes in a DC metro, and only seven would stop to hear greatness being played. And this was all part of a social experiment from the Washington Post to see if people would hear excellence and beauty. And that's what's going on in our passage today. People will respond to the word differently. And if you have ears to hear the word and understand it, you will find life in the kingdom of heaven. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 13, verse 1 to 23. And as you turn there, I'm going to give you a bit of background on the book of Matthew. And it's the gospel according to Matthew. And there are four accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Basically four portraits of the person and work of Jesus. And there are different angles of the same Jesus. And Matthew, he wants to show this central theme that he's going to establish the kingdom by Jesus fulfilling the promises of Old Testament. <clears throat> and in our passage today, it's the third major teaching that Jesus gives in his ministry. Uh, the first one is Matthew 5 to 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount. We also see another major teaching in Matthew 10 with the teachings to his disciples on what it looks like to follow Jesus. And then here in our passage today on Matthew 13, we're going to see eight parables on the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to actually just go down to the first one in our passage today. So if you're there with me, follow along as I read, starting from verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him. He got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says... You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, 
and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have, they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. And as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. When he has no root in himself but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, in another, sixty, in another, thirty. The main point of the passage and the main point of this sermon is hear the word and understand it. Hear the word and understand it. The outline of the sermon, we could be found in two points, is to herald the word and hear the word. Herald the word and hear the word. So first, herald the word. We see Jesus is heralding the word. He's proclaiming the word. Uh, Notice the setup in verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. So we see that same day, and in Matthew 12, we see that Jesus is walking and teaching on the Sabbath day. So on the Sabbath day, here Jesus is again teaching. This time, not to the Pharisees or the scribes. That's who he was talking to in chapter 12. But this time, it's to the crowds. And as you notice in verse 2, these great crowds, they gathered about him. So that Jesus, he got into the boat and he sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables. And we see the crowds, there's this eager anticipation to hear from Jesus. And they're standing up. And Jesus is sitting down. And this is, in this cultural context, how teaching was to be done. The teacher, uh, the scribe, or the Pharisee, they would sit down, and the crowds would stand in anticipation to hear, what is this teaching? And so here we see Jesus, he's teaching, not in plain uh, just exhortation, but he's teaching in verse 3 in parables. Now this is a, a good place for us to ask the question, well, what is a parable? And parables in the Bible have a wide variety of meanings. Uh, For example, it could refer to an image. Or if you're familiar with the book of Proverbs, the word parable can refer to a proverb. Uh, But in the context of Jesus' ministry, parables are stories or analogies that teach a moral or spiritual lesson. Okay, let me repeat that definition. Parables are stories or analogies that teach a moral or spiritual lesson. I think a helpful illustration is the Aesop fables, Aesop tales. Uh, So, for example, these are stories that tell a particular lesson, uh, like the tortoise and the hare. We have the tortoise and the hare. They're running a race. The hare is super fast, takes a nap. Tortoise, he's just slow, slow and steady, working hard, moving along. And the end of the story is that the the rabbit or the hare actually loses the race, and the tortoise wins. And kind of the moral of the story, the point of the story is something goes along the lines of slow and steady wins the race, or uh, 
encouraging working hard and constantly rather than working fast and not long. So in those stories, there's a particular lesson to be learned. And that's kind of what's going on with these parables. There's a particular lesson to be learned from these stories or analogies. So that's what a parable is. Uh, But again, you may still be wondering, well, why does Jesus speak in parables? Clearly in chapter 12, he's teaching plainly. In in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, he's teaching plainly. Uh, There's a couple parables in that Sermon on the Mount, but why in the parables? That's a great question. Some people, they speculate that Jesus was implementing this new style of teaching, a a teaching through story or through narrative. Uh, Some people speculate, oh, it's because Jesus was talking to the crowds, the common folk. Well, the answer to the question is actually in our passage today. So if you look with me, the disciples have the same question. Verse 10, then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Same question that we have. And Jesus answered them, In verse 13, it says, this is why. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. And that says, and this is a quotation from Isaiah. So clearly, Jesus is having a particular purpose on why he is teaching through parables. And it's because the crowds, they're going to see but they're not going to really see. They're going to hear, but they're not going to understand. And so he's pointing that the word of God, it's going to have two functions. The word of God will harden hearts, but the word of God will also bring healing to those who actually hear and understand. So let's look at the first function of God's word. The word hardens heart, hearts. And if you see there with me in verse 14 from the quotation, Jesus says, uh, and he quotes, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. Well, why? For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their, eye, with their ears, they can barely hear, and their eyes, they have closed. So what's going on here is they are physically hearing, but they're spiritually deaf. They're physically seeing, but they're spiritually blind. Why? Because their hearts are dull, they're callous. There's a spiritual blindness happening here, a spiritual hardening of hearts. This callousness is, you know, if you ever had a callus in your hand, it's this thick skin that you just feel numb. You don't feel anything. And that's what's happening spiritually with the crowds. It's just spiritual darkness, a spiritual blindness, a deafness, a hardening of hearts. And Jesus is quoting this passage in Isaiah 6 to refer to the crowds. Why? Indeed, in their case, in verse 14, in their case meaning the crowd's case. So to what end is Jesus quoting this passage? Where, Where is the connection between this passage and Isaiah? Well, let's turn to actually Isaiah 6 to better understand what Jesus is doing with connecting. So if you turn there with me to Isaiah 6, It's kind of in the middle of the Bible in the Old Testament. Isaiah is this prophet of God that God is sending. And if you're there with me in Isaiah 6, uh, it's this scene where Isaiah sees the Lord upon his throne. And he sees the Lord, and the Lord sends this angel there to atone for his sins and cleanses his lips with this burning coal. 
And the prophet Isaiah, as his lips are being cleansed, the Lord is asking, who, who should we send to these people? And Isaiah says, well, you just cleanse me, so use me, Lord. If, if you may, use me. And so God sends Isaiah to a people, and this is what God tells Isaiah. And if you're following along, Isaiah 6, uh, verse 9, the Lord says, Go and say to this people, this people naming Israel, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Verse 10, make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And that's the passage that is being quoted by Jesus in Matthew 13. And what's happening is God is sending this prophet who is speaking the truths of God to the people of God. And the people, they're going to hear but they're not really going to hear. They're not going to understand. And, and you're going to start seeing the connections between the people in Matthew 13 and the people in Isaiah 6, that that is the same spiritual hardening of hearts that is happening, that the word of God is going forth and there's this hardening of hearts. So in the same way in Matthew 13, they are hearing the word of the kingdom. Many will hear, they will not understand just like the people in Isaiah. So that's one of the purposes uh, that we have, that Jesus uh, is using parables. So if you turn back to Matthew, come back to Matthew 13, we see also that the word, as Jesus is heralding the word, he's proclaiming the word, another purpose of these parables is that God's word actually brings healing. God's word brings life and healing. So if again, if you look with me at verse 15, the second half, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. There is this promise that if you actually hear and understand, you will be healed. Notice that this gift is a gift. This hearing is a gift. It's a gift of God. Notice in verse 11, when Jesus replies to his disciples, a little side conversation with his disciples, he says, to you, disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. It has been given to the disciples. The disciples didn't know this by themselves. And in Matthew 16, Peter also says about Christ, you are the son of the living God. You are the Christ. And Jesus says, this is not from man. This is not from flesh and blood. This is from heaven. The kingdom of heaven has revealed this to you. And so in the same way, this hearing and understanding is a gift. It's more clear when we're contrasting with the crowds, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, this, the, the person who does not have it, even what he has will be taken away. And in the parallel passage in Luke 8 that references the same parable here, uh, it's eight, uh, 18, you don't have to turn there, but it says even what he thinks that he has, he will be taken away. And so you start seeing that this gift of hearing is by God's grace. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this ought to fill you with great joy, knowing that God has revealed this to you. Cherish it. This should fill your heart with thankfulness that God has revealed himself to you. This is not a reason for you to brag. So in verse 11, this isn't an insider's club, and then they don't know, so ha-ha, 
we know the secret and you don't. No, this is not what's going on here. Uh, the mystery or the secret, anytime that the Bible uses that phrase, uh, mystery or secret, in other translation, it's uh, mystery of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, that mystery refers to what was not known in the past is now been revealed. Uh, so the clearest example of this is Ephesians 5, when Paul is talking about marriage and how that points to Christ in the church. And he says that this mystery is profound, that marriage, before Jesus even came, the mystery is that it po- marriage points to Christ and the church. So it's not a mystery that is like a secret, hidden thing, but it's been now revealed that marriage is a pointer to Christ and the church. So in the same exact way here, this mystery of the kingdom of heaven is not this secret club thing, uh, but it's now been revealed to you, disciples. It's been revealed to you who this Jesus is, who I am. That's what Jesus is saying. So this ought to humble you, and this should fill you with gladness that God has revealed to you. But who is who is Jesus referring to when he says it has been revealed to you? Your eyes that see and your ears that hear. Well, in verse 16 of Matthew 13, look, it says, But blessed are your eyes, disciples, for they see, and your ears for they hear. And then he says, why? Well, for truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So this seeing and this hearing, these prophets and righteous people of the Old Testament, they were waiting for the coming king. They were waiting for the coming king in the line of David who will establish his kingdom. And Jesus is saying, that's, that's me. You're, that's, I'm the fulfillment of that. Jesus is also saying, well, we're waiting for this fulfillment of all righteousness of the law. And Jesus is saying, that's him. That's me. He's all, and in the entire Old Testament, we're pointing forward to who will be the Savior of all of our sins. And Jesus is saying, all these prophets and righteous people, they're looking forward to, they did not see this coming Messiah, this coming King. And Jesus is saying, your eyes, they see. Your ears, they hear. I am the greatest prophet. I am the greatest King to come to save all of my people from their sins. And this Jesus, He does this. And he accomplishes these purposes all in the Old Testament. He accomplishes it by going to the cross. And he does this by going to the cross as a substitute for his people, for those who would repent and believe in him. And it's by his wounds that we may be healed. And so Jesus, he is offering you healing from sin. He is offering, if you understand and hear the gospel message here right now, he's offering you life in his kingdom Repent and believe. Turn away from your sin. Turn to Jesus. And if you have not done this, if you have not turned away from your sin and turned to Jesus, talk to the person who brought you here. Talk to me afterwards. Talk to any of the elders. We want you to hear and understand this Jesus and what he's offering. Now, this is the purpose of the word. We see that we, the word goes out. It's heralded. It's proclaimed. There's a hardening of hearts. But there's also healing if you hear and understand. So that is the purpose of the parables. I think that's actually going to help us understand the parables uh, in verse 3. So if we want to go back to verse 3, the beginning, we see the first parable that Jesus gives in his little exposition here. We see a sower went out to sow. 
and he's sowing seeds, right? And in verse 18, it says, here then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, so we see the sower uh, or a farmer, he's just throwing out seeds. And to be honest, it's not very clear on who this sower is, right? There's no uh, description of who this sower is. So broadly speaking, this is just anybody who's bringing the word, who's just proclaiming the word. And it is sowing the seed. The seed is referenced to the word of the kingdom. So it's the word is going out forth. Now I want to pause here and uh, give some application in terms of the ministry of the word. This is just sowing of seed. Uh, just to be clear, this sowing of seed is not merely just the pulpit ministry or the preaching, but this is for every follower of Jesus. This is for every citizen of God's kingdom. This is for every ambassador of God's kingdom. We are to evangelize, and that's the nature of evangelism. It's evangelism is the preaching or heralding of the gospel message. We're to be heralds. So then, application-wise, we are to evangelize. We are to sow the seed. And notice this sower, he's just throwing out seed. So in the story, we see he's throwing out seeds. Some fall along the path. Some fall along the rocky ground. Some fall along the thorn, and some fall on the good soil. So this sower is just throwing out seed. Going wherever he goes, anywhere he goes, just throwing out the seed, evangelizing everywhere. And this is how we ought to evangelize as well, everywhere and anywhere. But I think that one of the best ways we can practically do this is actually the people around us. So if you have followers that are not Christian, God has deployed you there to share the gospel with them. So if you have a family member that does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, share the gospel with them. If you're currently in the workforce, God has deployed you, Christian, as ambassadors of Christ to your coworkers. Now, I think it takes some wisdom in how you do this. Uh, what I mean by that, uh, you don't want to be um, abusing your workforce and just evangelize and not do any work. Uh, but I think you, you can use some wisdom in per- perhaps even after work, grabbing a meal with your coworker or having them come over to your house on the weekends uh, and in an effort to faithfully sow seeds, to evangelize. And so I have nothing against uh, evangelism in terms of the event but even from this parable, we see that this sower is just sowing seed. It's almost like a lifestyle of evangelism. And I think this is something that we ought to adopt, that we just have a natural desire to kind of keep going and evangelize everywhere we go. Perhaps you feel like, well, I don't evangelize because I don't know how to. And some of you here are probably that person. And that's okay. And how do you do it? Well, we need to learn and grow and how to do that. So if that is you, right here sitting down, after the end of the service, talk to the elders. I'm very sure they will point you to someone who will help you grow in knowing how to evangelize. So after the service, if if you are that person that feels like I don't know how to evangelize, go ahead, talk to the elders. They will point you to someone who will help guide you and lead you in that way. Um. Uh, perhaps you feel afraid. You're like, ooh, I don't know how they're going to respond. I, I'm scared of evangelism because I don't know how to respond. Well, God calls us to faithfully hear the gospel. And what do you know? In this parable, Jesus himself tells us how people will, will respond. And this is our second point. Hear the word. Uh, this is our second point. So hear the word. We see in this parable, the first 
uh, part, right? The sower, he's sowing seed. And then we start getting a little bit more complicated, right? We start seeing uh, in verse 4, right? Uh, sowing some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground. And so we're starting to just be introduced to just a bunch of more characters in this parable. And so I wanted us to pause here uh, to think through how do we hear and understand a parable? So how do we hear and understand a parable? And I'm going to give you some tools on how to interpret and hear these parables correctly. So tool number one, find the punchline. Tool number one is find the punchline. So when we are reading a parable, when we're listening to a parable, <clears throat> we want to find the punchline. And usually these parables, the punchline will be the aha moment or the kind of the, oh, I get it. Uh, I understand it. And in this passage today, we, we, we see the punchline in verse 9. The parables go, uh, parable is being said about the parable of the sower. And the punchline is, he who has ears, let him hear. And that's the punchline. And a lot of these parables will have kind of the, the punchline toward the end of the parable. So the parable will be said, and the punchline will be at the end. So clearly, the punchline of this parable of the sower is, for those who have ears to hear, let him hear. And so, as we saw in verse 10 to 17, the purpose of the parables, we see that the word functions to harden, uh, harden hearts for some and to give life to others. Tool number two, audience. So who is the audience? That's tool number two. Who the audience is is going to help us know who, what the application points are for the parables. So to give um, a, a very good example is if you're familiar with uh, the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15, you don't have to turn there, uh, but it's basically this story about uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the father with two sons. One son stays at home, and the other son, the prodigal son, he goes out, he, uh, you know, lives his life, and then he figures out, oh, you know what, I need to come back to the father and see if I could just even just make a living by his father. Now, in that parable, who is Jesus talking to in Luke 15? Well, he's talking to the Pharisees. So now, understanding that, I think most of the times when we heard that uh, parable, uh, the focus was on the prodigal son. Well, if the audience is the Pharisees, that parable is kind of like a jab at the Pharisees. And it's actually in regards to the other son, the other son who was bitter because, oh, I, I stayed with the father. And so the audience really helps know what the, where the punchline is and who, to whom it is addressed to. So the audience helps us know where the application points are. And then the third tool I want to help you guys uh, with parables is the characters. So the characters in the parable. So in this passage, we find many characters, right? And so you guys may feel, ooh, it's a little complicated. We find a lot of characters here. We obviously see the character of the sower, the farmer, who's sowing the seed. We also see the character of the, the uh, seed itself, right? And we also see the character of soil. And in this parable, we find four types of soil. We see the path, the rocky ground, the thorns, and the good soil. And so even in this passage, those characters help us identify uh, the correspondence. So praise God that Jesus himself explains this parable in verse 18 to 23. And he says, basically, we have the sower, anybody who hear, who's giving the word. We have the seed, 
which is the Word of God, and we have the soil, and those are people's hearts and their responses. And so that's going to actually help us figure out where we draw lines of application points and what the purposes of these parables are in their teaching. So I hope those three tools uh, will help you in understanding the parables. And this chapter 13 is the eight major parables right here that Jesus is giving. So to summarize this parable right here, we have the word is being heralded, and then we have four ways to hear the word. So four ways to hear the word. And, and we'll just go one by one, right? So first one, we have the path. So if you're following along with me, we see in verse 4, And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. And Jesus, he explains this in verse 19. This is, this is the path, okay? So listen up, guys. Uh, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So we see this first, first group. These are people that they hear the word, they don't understand it, they don't care, and they reject. So these are people that they will reject Jesus, they will reject the word, and there's probably some in this room that will respond in this way. Friends, the, the consequences of rejection of Jesus is condemnation in hell. So this is a call for you to not reject, but to hear and understand. It's a call to repent and believe. So that's our first category of people, of how people respond to the word. It's the path. Next, we see another response. We have the rocky ground. And uh, in verse 20, we see this is for uh, the rocky ground, right? This is the one who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. No depth of soil. Persecution comes, they wither. Now, a few things to note here. This response is not true faith. Let me, let me reiterate that. The path, not true faith. Rocky ground, not true faith. This is not true faith. And all throughout Jesus' teaching ministry, he's very clear. Those who trust and believe will bear fruit. Those who trust and believe Jesus will bear fruit. They will persevere to the end. Second, notice as well, the appearance or it looks like they will bear fruit, right? They, they, they immediately receive it, and it says, he receives it with joy. But look what happens over time. They don't last. They wither away. And notice, too, why they wither away. It's per tribulation or persecution, but it's not merely just persecution or tribulation. It's not merely just suffering. It's on account of the word. So it's account of who the word is talking about. It's account of Jesus, and that's what draws these people away. It's not the persecution in and of it themselves, but it's on account of persecution because of Jesus. So these are the folks that it seems like they're excited about Jesus, they're excited about following him, but over time they start getting made fun of because they follow Jesus. They, they realize that people, they start persecuting them, because of Christ. Now, they realize that this life of following Jesus is difficult. And so they, for a time, have the appearances of faith. But over time, we see that they indeed did not have true faith. 
And some of you guys right now may be questioning yourself, is that me? A wave of doubt comes. Is this me? Did I deceive myself? Beloved, we have no idea what the future holds, but God calls us to, to now trust in Him. And we place not our trust not in feelings, not in our subjective thoughts, but we place our trust in the objective work of Jesus, in Him and Him alone and His work. But perhaps, ah, PK, I can't draw up enough strength to even counsel that to myself. Maybe you're just drowning in that doubt and you feel so paralyzed and chained by that doubt. And that's exactly why we sing our last song. So if you want to turn with me to your bulletin, we're not going to sing this song uh, until the conclusion of the service, but this is exactly why we sing He Will Hold Me Fast. In the midst of doubt, in the midst of we're fearing our faith will fail, this is our first verse, that Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. And so even this song is just articulating that we will go through seasons of doubt. And we may be questioning ourselves. And God calls us to persevere. But remember, we need to counsel ourselves with Christ and Him crucified. And so even in that last verse of He will hold me fast, look there with me. For my life He bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. There's a security because of what Christ has done on the cross. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. God holds us fast. Raised with Him to endless life. He will hold me fast. In the power of the resurrection, there is security until our faith is turned aside when He comes at last. And in the future, new heavens and new earth, we will see Jesus face to face. No more doubt. Friends, even as we sing this song at the end, may that minister to your own heart as you sing. If you are doubting here with us, yeah, may that song just be an encouragement to you that yes, we do need to persevere, but we only persevere because it's God who preserves us. He is the one who holds us fast. This is God's sustaining grace for us, brothers and sisters. So beloved, if you are doubting, rest in the security in what Christ has already accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection. And so we see in the rocky ground that that is not true faith because they do not bear fruit. Third, the thorny response, we see the thorns in verse 22, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. This third response, is it's a people that their heart is split, double-minded. Uh, there's, there's this kind of this idea of, oh, I want to serve God, but I want to serve money, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches. And so some of you here, they may be, you might be torn. You're looking at the temptations of the world. And uh, uh, Jason, he preached in Proverbs the last two weeks on the deceitfulness of sexual sin. And in our passage today, uh, Jesus is talking about the deceitfulness of riches. And so just as a diagnostic, I hope we can even ask our, ourselves this question. If, if we had X amount of money, then blank. What is that blank for you? 
What, do you, what does riches offer you? Perhaps it's happiness, pleasure, power, security, comfort. Those are all deceitful, my friends. Why? Because all of those things will eventually burn and be destroyed. They do not last. Those earthly blessings, those material possessions, they will not last. But understanding the word, and if you hear it properly, there is eternal treasure in Christ Jesus. There's eternal, everlasting treasure in Christ Jesus. Uh, Ephesians 1 talks about how we will be blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 1 talks about how we will, uh, those who have been born again, they have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It's riches that will last forever. But friends, the deceitfulness of the riches of here, they will not last. You cannot take that when you die. Those will burn up and be destroyed. Flee from the love of money and treasure Jesus. Notice how that love of money chokes out the love of Christ. So again, these three soils are not true faith. But we have this last soil, the good soil. This fourth response. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, another sixty, and another thirty. Over time, they will bear fruit. These are the ones who hear the word, understand it. These are the true Christians. This is the true faith. Only one response is true faith. This is the good soil. <clears throat> and church, this hearing and understanding is the life that we will continually do. And one of the ways that we do this is by gathering every Sunday to hear the proclamation of the word. So the main way that we hear the word is through the preaching of God's word on Sunday. But we also hear the word throughout our week, do we not, in our devotions as we meditate on God's word? That ought to encourage us in any of the ministry of the word that we would hear, respond, and understand. That we would live in light of the truths of God's word. Now, as I said, uh, the, the, the punchline is, he who has ears, let him hear. And if you're familiar with f- agriculture and farming, of course, if you're part of the crowd, you're going to hear that this good soil that bears fruit, you're going to be wanting to be that good soil that hears and understands. I know for us, in today's the 21st century, we probably don't understand this farming culture, but this good soil, look, 100-fold, 60-fold, 30-fold, and the point is not kind of this distinction of like, oh, I have 100-fold and you have 30-fold and I'm better. No, 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 no. The, the important thing is the good soil. It's the good soil that produces fruit. And so, friends, this parable of the sower, I hope this is huge encouragement. I'm going to give you three encouragements here from this parable about any ministry of the word that you are part of. So perhaps you're preaching on the pulpit. Uh, perhaps you're evangelizing. You're counseling the word to others in the week. You're discipling others with the word. And those are all just ministry of sowing seeds. So as you are doing these things, my encouragement to you is three things. Number one, first encouragement. It should cause us to be patient. It should cause us to be patient. If you notice in the parable, time will tell. Time will tell to see if they will bear fruit or not. But if you're like me, you're going to be impatient. 
you're going to want to see the results fast. You want the quick and easy results. It's almost like a microwave. But in God's economy, notice it's time will tell. We will see if they will bear fruit. Let's see if the, the seed will bear fruit or not. So parents, as you raise your children in the instruction and discipline of the Lord, you may not see fruit now, but time will tell. Be patient. Friends, time will tell what will happen. Wait and see. Uh, those of you who have been evangelizing, perhaps maybe your family or coworkers for years, and you see nothing, you see no fruit. Friends, be faithful. Be patient. Be patient, because time will tell. We don't know what will happen years down the road. And in this parable, it should be an encouragement that for us to be patient. Our second encouragement is prayer. Is prayer. Our second encouragement is prayer. The, the main sowing of seeds we see is the preaching of the word. We see the heralding of words, whatever facet that is in the ministry of God's word. Uh, we see that we need to pray for understanding. We need to pray that we would hear God's word and understand. Uh, just as we sang in Speak, O Lord, that may that be our prayer as we come to God's word in our devotions, as we evangelize, uh, praying for others that they would hear and understand. May that be the prayer of our hearts regularly for the preaching of God's word, for our evangelism, our counseling, our discipling, that God's word would bear fruit. And our last encouragement is to rest. Third encouragement is to rest. Notice in this parable, you are not responsible for the response for the responsible or the, you're not responsible for the responses. You're not responsible for the fruit. You're not responsible for how people will respond. You can't force somebody to follow Jesus. God will accomplish His purpose with His word. And in that uh, scripture reading we read today in Isaiah 55, I want to kind of reiterate this promise because it's. So powerful and an encouragement to us to rest in God's word as God does the work by his word. So let me read to us Isaiah 55 verse 11 specifically. Hear this promise. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and I shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God promises that he will bring forth good fruit for those who hear and understand. And we see in the, uh, the purpose of the parables that God also hardens hearts by the hearing and proclamation of the word. Do not harden your heart. As as you hear today, do not harden your heart. Take care how you listen. Hear the word and understand it. Uh, with that, let, let us pray. Our Father in heaven, you have revealed to us yourself in your word. We praise you that you are the sovereign God. You are the faithful God. You are the kind God. You bear much fruit as seed is being sowed. God, we thank you that you speak to us in your word and all the promises are fulfilled in Jesus and that by your spirit you open our eyes to see the glorious truths. We pray that you would help us to hear the word rightly and understand rightly. Help us to continue to sow the seed, 
as well as to hear and give all of us hearts to understand. In Jesus' name we pray.